Well, good morning. I want to encourage you, if you were not here last week, um, to, to go to our website. Because what I intend for last week and this week and, Lord willing, next week, uh, I'll give you a preview so that um, if the Lord would so choose and I not make it, someone in my stead come and uh, proclaim the message that, that we would want to hear proclaimed. And so last week we began looking at the nature of marriage. And I would encourage you to go online and to listen to that, uh, to hear what we're saying is the nature of marriage as we look at God's word. And today I want to take a, a look at what the scriptures would tell us the purpose of marriage is. And then next Sunday, Lord willing, uh, the heart of marriage. And so if if I don't make it, someone please stand and open God's word and talk about uh, the heart of what marriage is. Um, I'm assuming that would be Edward, but if he doesn't make it, uh, someone else stand and proclaim from God's word the heart of marriage. But today, we want to look at the purpose of marriage. And so, I ask you, why do people get married? There are many reasons if we were to actually open this thing up and to say to you, please raise your hand and tell me why you would think you would need to get married. And, and for a long time, particularly here in the West... People got married for security, uh, to enhance their social status, uh, to perpetuate a family name, right? It ends with a son, and that son needs to get married to carry on the family name. If you're a reader, maybe you would think of Jane Austen's uh, famous book, Pride and Prejudice. It's a great book. If you've never read it, you should. Uh, the first, the opening line of the book. Does anybody know what it says? You have it memorized? It's a great line, okay? It is a truth universally acknowledged that a single man in possession of a good fortune must be in want of a good wife, right? And so this approach, right, security, status, heritage, this has a long history here, but things have changed, In our society, in our culture, the purpose of marriage has shifted to this, to companionship. Unless I am married, I am bound to be lonely. We talked about that last week. Loneliness is pervasive in our culture. This is the message that we hear in movies and music. I I pointed to that last week as I listened to music of all uh, from all backgrounds while I'm mowing. Um, The message is this, that We're looking for love. We need companionship, right? It's in movies. It's in magazines. Um, If you, in movies, uh, a very crass movie, I don't recommend, uh, but it's one that was very popular at some time. It's called The Wedding Crashers. I don't recommend it. Um, You're laughing because I'm assuming you've seen it. Uh, So in this movie, there are these, there's this woman, Claire, and this, this man, John, and Claire asks John, what's true love? Right? And John responds. He says this. He says, true love is your soul's recognition of its counterpoint in another. Claire then says, that's a little cheesy, but I like it. And he says, I read it on a bumper sticker. Right? So what he's getting at is like, What he's getting at there, true love is finding your soulmate, right? You are my soulmate. You complete me, right? There's an older movie that we could go back to, but I've used that illustration before and no one remembers the movie, so we won't do that. Maybe The Wedding Crashers is a little more recent. 
But it's really become the bedrock of marriage in our culture, right? Companionship. Marriage is for personal intimacy. Friendship. Romance. Right? Companionship. Nicholas Sparks has made quite a living writing well-written novels about this. If you don't know who he is, it's okay. Look him up. But the Bible would have us to see a very different purpose for marriage. And so if you have a Bible with you, turn to Genesis. It's the very first book in the Bible. Genesis chapter 2, if you don't have a Bible with you, there's one in the, should be one under the seats in front of you. And if there's not one there, well, the next time you stay at a hotel, open the drawer and it's there for you to take, right? The Gideons put that there for you to read and take. So take it and read it. So in, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 2, the very first book of the Bible. And if you will find the second chapter, we're going to come across the very first negative comment in all of Scripture. And it's quite remarkable because over the course of chapter 1, if you're familiar with chapter 1, if you're not, I'll enlighten you, but in chapter 1, on seven different occasions, God is going to stop from His work of creation and He's going to look at all these made and He's going to say what? It is good. It's good, right? A very positive a very affirmative thing that God would have to say about his creation. But here in Genesis chapter 2, we're looking at Adam standing in the Garden of Eden, and suddenly, for the very first time, God says something is not good. Look at verse 18. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Well, then God creates Eve, he creates woman, Adam's wife, and this is where we have the origin of marriage in the Bible. And if you, if we today can discern what is not good, okay, so it's the first time, he said seven times in the previous chapter, this is good. In fact, it's very good. And here for the very first time, he says something is not good. So if we, if you and I today can discern what is not good, here, then we can get understanding into uh, what the original, the true, the natural purpose of marriage is. So why is it not good for Adam to be alone, for man to be alone? Why did God create Eve? For what purpose did God create Eve? For what purpose did he look at Adam and say, this is not good that you would be alone? What drove God to institute marriage. So, well, to hear this passage, this particular verse correctly, verse 18 correctly, you've got to remember one basic rule of interpretation. If you read the Bible, if you study the Bible, what's one of the most fundamental principles of Bible study? Context, 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 right? So you see in Genesis 2.18, It's not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. It doesn't just pop out of the blue. It doesn't just come out of nowhere. It's not like you read it and go, where did that come from? What is he talking about? That's not what happens here. So if you're not careful, what can happen is, and this happens when we interrupt a conversation. Have you ever, I've been guilty of that. Or you've been a part of a conversation that someone interrupts. And when we interrupt a conversation that we've not been listening to, what do we do? 
we place on that conversation our assumptions, right? We bootleg in our own agenda to what's happening in the conversation. We hear a little piece of it and we assume we know what's going on. And so if we just take this verse and we just read that verse, we bootleg into it our own assumption of what's happening here. And there is this grammatical shift that happens. Well, Adam, he's lonely. He's all by himself. He needs a companion, right? He's walking around in the garden, wrenching his hands. He's frustrated because he doesn't have a companion. But that's not what the Bible tells us. It's not what the context tells us here, right? So this this line comes up in this scene that's unfolding. Jump back to chapter chapter 2, verse 4 with me. Okay, in verse 4, we see that this verse comes up in the middle of this scene where God is creating the world. And in verse 5, we hear this. We read, When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. So, so there's the scene, right? God's creating the world and he creates man to care for the world. He puts man in it to work it, to tend to it in the garden, in, in the bareness of what it is, right? There's all of the natural resources of there and he puts man there to tend to it. And this is a part of what it means to be human in our humanity. It's the fundamental reason for why we exist. I, listen, I'm, I'm going to qualify some things. I am all about the glory of God, okay? So if you don't hear me say that, the rest of this message, all of this is about the glory of God. But we gotta, we got to figure out how that works out. What does it mean to glorify God? we got to get under that to say, what does it mean for us to glorify God? How do we do that? Do I just glory, right? Well, I'm glorying right now. Well, what does that mean? And here we're seeing in this, in this story as it unfolds that one of the fundamental reasons or one of the fundamental purposes of being human is it's is that we are we exist to make something of the world it's a part of our birthright he puts adam and eve there and says make something out of this work it tend to it care for it it's the privilege and responsibility that the bible says god has given to you and i it's part of our being human it's part of our humanity we're responsible to exercise power and authority over his creation, right? And use our abilities to create and cultivate, make something out of it. Here it is, now do something with it, right? Take the world that's given to you, make something of it, bring something out of this world that only has potential, right? I've shared this example before when we talked about vocation, but take a tree, someone had to take that tree Right? And they saw the potential in that tree and they fashioned something from that tree. A Louisville slugger, right? Or a table. We have a table in our home that is well worn and it's real wood, right? It's not some fake wood. It's real wood. And 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 so someone saw the real potential in the wood and create made something from that that would continue on, right? So God gives puts him in the middle of this scene where I've given you all of this. All of this. I've made you for this. And so Adam has this enormous responsibility and even the dignity, really, of being entrusted with God's garden. 
He made it. And now, Adam, I'm putting you in the middle of it. And it's this, it's this story that we, that God takes a good look at the garden and little Adam, right? He's standing uh, bemused and he's, and it's as if he's in it and he says, I can see it is not good for Adam to be given this job on his own, right? I'm looking at little old Adam in this incredible garden and it is not good and not because he's lonely. Maybe he was, but the, the con- it doesn't tell us he's lonely. Maybe he was, but he had no framework, right? He didn't know who human beings were, so he didn't know what it meant to be lonely. And so here's Adam. Maybe he was lonely, but it doesn't tell us that. So do not assume that he's lonely. Here's Adam, and here's God in all of his creation, and he puts Adam in the middle of the garden, right? And Adam, it is not good that you are alone, right? Because the job is too big for you to do by yourself. That's different than being lonely. That is very different than being lonely. This, this job, Adam, is too big for you. This is why God makes for him what? In verse 18, what does God make for him? A helper, not a companion. I believe that's true. If Adam is absolutely lonely and in need of companionship, he says, Adam, I've made a companion for you, right? Go sit on the park bench that I made, right? Actually, there's no park bench, just a stump, because Adam's got to see the potential and make the park bench. But go sit over there under the trees and gaze into the eyes of your companion. But that's not what he says. Adam, I have made a helper for you because this job that I've given you is too much for you. This garden, working in the garden and tending to all of this, seeing its potential and cultivating is too much for you to be alone. So I'm making for you a helper, right? And I do believe, listen... I do believe that, that Eve very likely was a fabulous companion, okay? That's not what I'm saying. I think she would have most likely been a fabulous companion, but God says in his word, it is not good that you are alone and I am making for you. I will make for you a helper that is fit for you. So now we have the purpose of marriage as it's intended to be. Marriage If you're a note taker, write it down, right? If you're not a note taker, take a picture of your notes of your friend that's a note taker. Marriage is for the purpose of serving God. Marriage, marriage is for the purpose of serving God. It is for the purpose of fulfilling our calling by God to be the stewards of his world. So here's the deal. If that's, if that's true, then to have a marriage that's in line with, I'm going to call it the grain of the universe, how God has designed this to be. So to have a marriage that's in line with the grain of the universe, we have got to dedicate ourselves. If you are married or potentially will be married, if God's calling you to marriage, it's not a right, it's a calling. We discussed that last week. And so if to have a marriage in line with this, we've got to dedicate ourselves not only to one another, but to something outside of ourselves, absolutely outside of ourselves. Now, that is in contrast to some of the responses that our culture provides for the failure of marriages today. And it's, it's not very different in the world or in the church. And that's not a shot on the church, but that's a reality. Think about books, right? Conferences, 
And they focus on, we said this last week, but they focus on relationships between a husband and wife. And they talk about communication and conflict resolution and keeping romance alive, right? Gazing into one another's eyes and go on one more marital retreat and your marriage will be forever better, right? And I'm not saying that's bad. Do not hear me saying that. Those things are very good and well-intended and we need good communication and you need to gaze into one another's eyes and romance needs to be alive in your marriage and you need to be attracted to one another and you need to, all of those things are true, but we've got to get underneath that. Because what's happened is, the, is that we've subtly shifted. We have subtly shifted one of the blessings of marriage, companionship. And we've elevated it to primary position. It, is a, it has its place in marriage, but what's happened in our culture is we've elevated that to a primary position. And we've put it in the driver's seat. And here's the thing. Biblically, we do not have the right to do that. We do not have the right to redefine marriage, whether that is one man and one woman or whether that is its primary purpose. And the purpose for marriage is for the purpose of serving God. It's something outside of ourself. And so there is a blessing of marriage and that is companionship, but it is not the primary. It's not primary. It's not primary. So our creator created marriage for a reason and companionship is not the primary purpose fundamental purpose of marriage. It belongs in the driver's seat, right? So family trip, we load up in the minivan and we put Nora, our, our five-year-old daughter in the driver's seat. What happens? You know what happens. It's not good. If we ask her to get in the driver's seat, she would. She likes to drive. She helps daddy drive, right? And she would get in the driver's seat. Now, what is the answer there? Is the answer to kick her out of the van, No, it's not. The answer is to put her in the right seat. Companionship belongs in the minivan, okay? Or whatever you drive. We drive a minivan. Companionship belongs in the vehicle, but not in the driver's seat. You follow it? See, what happens is, and this is with all due respect to uh, Claire and John and the wedding crashers. I don't know them. Um... But Jesus Christ is your only soulmate. There is not a person in their humanity that can satisfy your soul. No one. Jesus Christ is your only soulmate. And when I read scripture, let me just read a very quick few things that I find when I read scripture. Right? So Jesus hungered, but he fed thousands. He is the bread that gives life. No man or no woman does that. He thirsted, right? But he cried, if anyone thirst, come to me and do what? Drink. No man or woman can do that. In his flesh, right? Jesus, he wearied, he was tired, but he is the rest for those who are weary and heavy laden, Matthew tells us. Jesus tells us in Matthew's gospel. He prays, right? But he also does what? He hears your prayers. No man or woman can answer your prayers in that regard, right? He weeps, but he causes tears to cease, the scriptures would tell us. He was sold cheaply for only 30 pieces of silver, but what? He redeems the world and at a great price for the price of his own blood. No one in their 
flesh did that or can do that except for Jesus Christ. As a sheep, the scriptures say he was led to slaughter, but he is the shepherd of Israel and now of the entire world, Jesus Christ. As a lamb, he is silent, yet he is the word. He is bruised and wounded, but he heals every disease and every infirmity. He's lifted up and nailed to the tree, but by the tree of life, he restores us. On the cross, he is given vinegar to drink, mingled, right? The scriptures say with gall, but he turned the water into wine. Jesus is the destroyer of the bitter taste. He is sweetness and all together to be desired. He dies, but he gives life. And by his death alone, he alone destroys death. No man, no woman on this earth can do that for you. Jesus is the only one that satisfies your soul. Marriage is not created so that we can gaze forever into the eyes of another human being, right? And find in him or in her all that we need. I have tried that. Very likely, all of us at some point in our life have attempted that. It does not work. Jesus Christ is the bread of life and water, living Water And listen, I am not saying to you, okay, my marriage is good, I think, right? We're good, okay? (laughs) My marriage is good, and I am a student that pursues my wife. And you absolutely need to work on a healthy relationship and communication and conflict resolution. But please hear me. When we make the relationship between husband and wife the purpose of marriage, when we make intimacy the goal of marriage, the end-all reason for being marriage, this is a form of idolatry. Our marriages are instituted by the Creator in the context of our service to Him in this world. Serving Him in this world. And it's we said it's wrong to change the purpose, but I'm going to say it's foolish, right? If, if I said to you, hey, we're going on a trip and I don't have to drive. Stacy doesn't have to drive. Nora is driving. Hopefully, you would look at me and say, I don't think that's a good idea, bro. <laughs> that is foolish. It's going to go very bad for you if you let your five-year-old drive you on your trip, wherever you're going, down the road or across the state, right? It's wrong But it's foolish. Does it belong in the car? She belongs in the car. Does companionship belong in the car? Absolutely. Does intimacy belong in the car? Absolutely. Does gazing into each other's eyes belong in the car? Absolutely. Is it primary? Is it in the driver's seat? No, it's not. And when we do, it will be no no different than when you put your five-year-old in the driver's seat of your vehicle. It will be no different. It will be... A, a wreck, a train wreck. I believe we sow seeds of destruction when we do that. When we make intimacy, companionship, relationship primary, you are sowing seeds of destruction in your relationship for many reasons that we can't unpack today. Here's one reason. When you look at your spouse to satisfy. Now listen, if you're single in this room, please do not disconnect from me. Because if you have a desire to be married, it's, it's likely that you should be married someday. That, we got to unpack all that, okay? 
Uh, we need to counsel about that. But if God has given you a desire, it's likely right, that he's calling you to marry someday. If you have no desire for that, it's likely that there's a calling in your life to be single. So if you are a potential marriage candidate, if you are married, this applies for all of us. And when you look to that spouse or future spouse to satisfy your deepest longings, your deepest hungers, whatever it is that you feel in those areas you feel incomplete in, we are undermining marriages because our marriage has become a means to our own selfish searching for fulfillment. Right? When you look to that other person, you're, you're saying your, your love for me, our relationship is the means to an end. It's a boomerang, right? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be with you because I have a need and you're going to meet my need. And that's quite frankly, a boomerang for self-destruction. It's shallow, it's brief, intense, but shallow and brief. So we, when we begin to think marriage is there to meet my needs, what do you do when it fails to meet your needs? What do you do? If marriage is there for the purpose of meeting your needs, what do you do when your needs aren't met anymore? Someone say it. What do you do? You grumble and complain. And where does that lead to? You break up. You divorce. Right? You find someone else that can scratch your itch. You find someone else that can meet that need. Right? And so you get a new whoever. You get a divorce. You find a new mate. Someone that can promote your growth. Your self-actualization. I'm going to be who I was made to be because I need the right person to help me be that person. And we assume that the purpose, when we assume the purpose for marriage is companionship, what we've done is we've redefined what love is. We've taken the definition of love and then we've redefined it. I love you comes to mean what I just said. I love you means you meet my needs. I love you means you scratch my itch. Right? So the only reason I'm loving you is because you're meeting the need that I have. And so this is really all about me. This is self-centered. This is selfish. This, is, this revolves around me. The world is about me. And that is destructive. All the time and everywhere. I'm going to say that a great need for marriage is to learn to have a purpose beyond yourself. And unless a husband and a wife have a purpose for their marriage beyond being together, I'm going to say your marriage is most likely destined for a hellish marriage. Really. It it can't be satisfying because there's still an itch to be scratched. There's still a longing of your soul. There's still something that's not quite right. And that's hellish. If you've ever been with someone that it's, it's not good, right? And so marriage, I'm saying today that marriage is a vocation. And by that, I mean a calling. Marriage is a calling. And in that calling, it is for the purpose of serving God and His purpose in this world. If you are married, by all means, pursue intimacy with your spouse. Okay, this is not letting anyone off the hook. Go on a date. Go to a conference buy her flowers, buy him whatever. Pursue intimacy with your spouse. Work to communicate and communicate well, right? If you're having issues, 
Come and see a biblical counselor. Let us go to the word as it relates to those things. Learn to resolve conflict, but do not stop there and do not let that become your overall goal. Don't let that be the the end. Okay, now we communicate, okay, and we're done. Everything's good. We went on a date. We took a vacation together. We left the kids at home, right? We went on a whatever the weekend is called, weekend to remember, and and now everything's better because we spent four hours gazing at each other. Actually, it was most likely her reading a book and him playing golf or something. I don't know. Um, so what we've got to do is set the primary purpose of our marriage as serving God together in the world. If you are married, you have got to redefine your purpose in this world. And yes, be married till death do you part. That is, we need to go there, right? But I'm saying redefine your purpose as serving God in this world together. Your marriage has to be about a transcendent purpose, something beyond your marriage, right? Remaining together, something beyond remaining together, beyond raising children, something that's given to us here in Genesis 2. I'm putting you here, this job is too big. It's too big if you're alone, Adam. I'm giving you a helper that's fit for you. Work and tend to my creation. This is bigger than you. And so marriage, we have to redefine the purpose and say, this is bigger than us. And so we redefine it by saying, what is our purpose that's bigger than us? Beyond staying together, that should be an understood, okay? Beyond raising children. What is your purpose that's bigger than you? That you couldn't do it alone, right? If you were alone, you couldn't do it. If God had called you to singleness, then we, I could not accomplish this. But in marriage, right, I am now coupled with someone till death do we part. And our purpose is to serve God in this world, in his creation. How, what can we accomplish together that we could not, separate, could not accomplish independently? So it's gracious and outward looking. If you're married, I want to challenge you to have a conversation this week. Have a conversation. Ask one another, how are we serving God in our marriage? Have a very honest conversation. Men, let your wife speak. And if she says something that you don't agree with, please do not argue with her, okay? I am king of that because I don't see it. And oftentimes it's because I'm blind to my own sin. Ladies, your wife or your husband, right? Your husband might see something that you don't. And so when, when you ask that question, let him respond. And don't be quick to respond. Be gracious in your response, but believe that he might see something. So have the conversation this week. I'm saying that we need to remember that marriage is instituted by our Creator in the context of meaningful service to him in this world. So here's a couple of, I, I, wanted, I probably need to build out a list for this, right? And I wrestled with this even late into last night, just mentally and early this morning. Do we provide a way for people to serve, right? And, and then yet that is almost, in, it's almost could go on forever. It's inexhaustible. But to the marrieds, I want to say to you, take the next few weeks Right? Have this conversation. Ask each other, how are we serving God in our marriage? How are we going to turn 
our face, our energy outside of our family. Have the conversation if you're married. Don't, you don't have to immediately involve your children. If you don't have children, that's okay. But if you're an empty nester, right? But husband and wife, have the conversation. How are we going to turn our face, really? And I don't, how are we going to tr- posture ourselves outside of each other? Our energy outside of our family. Perhaps, right? Perhaps you are doing so many things that all of your energy and all of your time is geared on you and your family. And you have no time to serve God and his kingdom. And I'm going to say to you today, then maybe you need to cut some of those things out. I get it. I have three children and one on the way. Life is demanding. I have a full-time job. Beyond popular belief, pastors work on more, a greater frequency than Wednesdays and Sundays. I have a, there's a gigantic demand on my life. I'm a husband. I am a friend. I'm a son, right? I have a mom and a dad, just like many of you. And I want to honor them and maintain relationship there. I have friendships inside and outside of this church. I want to be a faithful member in our community. I get it that life is very demanding. But that does not excuse me, nor does it excuse you, to posture yourself to, in a way that is internalized. And so married people have a conversation this week. How are you going to turn your energy outside of your family, right? What does this look like for you? To the singles, let me say this. Last week we read from the Gospel of Matthew. We read from the Gospel of Luke. And being single is a legitimate vocation. A legitimate vocation. If you didn't hear it last week and you're single, you need to listen to last week. Because what we said is, you're not somehow incomplete. And you're in waiting. You're in transition. Now maybe that you're, you will be married someday. But as a single person, you don't need someone to absolutely complete you. right? Jesus is your soulmate. I hope in a very short few sentences we unpack that for you enough this morning that you would agree with me biblically jesus is your soulmate right and singleness is a calling the apostle paul clearly tells us that in first corinthians chapter seven singleness is a legitimate vocation being married is a calling and so is being single some people are married are not married, rather, for biological reasons. And they're single because of circumstances. And some are single for spiritual reasons. And, and there are many legitimate reasons that people are not married. If you're single, let me say this to you. You have a wonderful opportunity to bear witness in our world to Christ as the bread of life. You have a powerful, a very powerful opportunity to demonstrate to the world, that Jesus Christ is your hope and absolutely your significance. A way that I, nor any other person that's married in this room, can demonstrate. You have more time and more ability to serve God and His kingdom than you would if you're married. And I'm not saying that because I think I'm busy and you're not. The Apostle Paul says that. We're distracted when we're married, right? I need to invest in gazing into the eyes of my spouse and working on communication and conflict resolution. And as a single person, the the Apostle Paul would tell us that you're not distracted with that. Singleness is a calling. It's a vocation. And so you have more time and more ability to serve God and His kingdom than you would if you're married. If you're pursuing marriage. So teenagers, right? 
you're saying, man, I, I know God's calling me to marry someday. I can never imagine myself being single. I've dreamed about, I've planned about my wedding, all of those things. College students, right? Widows, midlifers, if you're pursuing marriage, you need to hear this. You need to make your decision to marry or not marry based on mission, not loneliness. So if you're single in this room and you are lonely, you need to make the decision to marry not on loneliness, but on mission. If you're a teenager in this room, or whether you're far removed from that, if you are single, you need to approach being married as a mission. And there is a purpose for marriage. And marriage has a mission, and that is to serve God and His world. And that needs to be the reason for marrying, and that needs to inform who you marry, right? Because if you look into the eyes of someone that does not believe in the mission of God, what should you say? I cannot marry that someone, right? Because they absolutely couldn't know me. As a Christian, that informs who we marry. We can go to all the passages, but at the bottom of the rung on that is that fundamentally, if someone does not believe and follow Jesus Christ, they cannot believe in the purpose of marriage. So if you have, if you approach loneliness or being alone by mission, then you, then that mission informs who you marry and who you date, right? And so your mission and your motive is now different than it was if you're only lonely. There's songs about that too. See, true mar- the true marriage that our souls need and the true family our hearts want is not human marriage. It's not. You, you think, some of you have thought that before and I've thought that before and many will think that before. And we have singles and we have teenagers and we have college students in this room that would believe that your deepest want is human relationship. I need someone. I need. Because you've been alone and you've experienced loneliness And if I just had someone to share a cup of coffee with or share this story with or share this book with or drive through the countryside with, you absolutely have bought into the lie of the wedding crashers and they've set the tone for you that believes that that person could be your soulmate, satisfy the longing of your soul. And that is not true. Tim Keller writes this. He says, singles have to realize, they must realize that the very same idolatry of marriage that is distorting their single life will distort their married life. Do you you hear that? See, he gets it. He says, if you're longing for a marriage because you feel lonely and you need companionship and you need intimacy and you need relationship, that when you're married, that doesn't change. It doesn't change, right? Because you're still longing for for that other person to satisfy that. So you didn't begin that relationship in a way that was after the heart of who God is. Keller gets it in that point. He says this, and think about this. If you're dating, and if you're, and I've already said this, but and if you're if the spouse of marriage or the purpose of marriage is to serve God, only date or marry a Christian. Or you're doomed. That's what he says. He uses the word doomed. I didn't use that word. You're doomed. If your spouse does not share your faith, then he or she cannot understand it. They can't understand it. And if Jesus is central to you, then that means your spouse does not understand you. 
It doesn't work. Now, um, what do we do if you're on the other side of marriage and your spouse doesn't believe, right? We need to speak to that. I don't have time to speak very long there. Um, but, but what do you do? Right? You're married. On the, on the front side of marriage, you're like, man, I wish I'd have heard a message like that. I wish I'd have re- read a book. I wish somebody would have preached that. I wish we'd have known that. I didn't grow up in church or I didn't grow up in a church that taught that. We, we were going to marriage counseling and they were saying, go on another date night, right? And that just didn't work. And so now I remar- I'm married to someone and they're just not a believer. But, but man, we were sure attracted to one another. And it seemed like it was going to work. And now you're here today alone, right? You come here faithfully week after week, male or female, and your spouse is not with you. What do you do? And in a very humble way, and, and in, a, in a way that is not insensitive, okay? I want to say I think we have to take up our cross. I do. You see, at the heart of Christianity is a cross. It's called cruciform theology. And so the goal of life is not that you would just be happy. This is not your best, best life. I said that last week, I'll say it this week, and if the Lord continues to give me breath, I'll say it next week. This is not your best life. The better wine is yet to come, and the great banquet is yet to come. We preached that last week. Listen to the, the online podcast. So happiness is not the goal. Joy is, and joy is only found in Jesus Christ. And so if you're alone in your marriage and you are the only one that is a believer, I'm saying to you very humbly and very patiently and very graciously and very thoughtfully, Take up your cross. This is your cross to bear. At the heart of Christianity is a cruciform theology. And Jesus absolutely, absolutely understands your suffering. He's not disconnected from it. See, what I've learned about suffering is that Jesus is not some distant, far-off, nebulous being when it comes to suffering. The scriptures would tell us, particularly the Psalms, would tell us that he is the suffering servant and he is right there. Whatever you're calling, right, to be single, to be married, there is work to be done. Don't miss that. There's work to be done. There's a garden to be tended. We are not just treading water here. I don't believe that. I don't believe we're just waiting for something to happen, for the skies to open up. And right now we're just... We're doing this, right, until Jesus comes back. That's not, that's not what the Bible tells us. There is work to be done. There's a garden to be tended. There's order to be maintained and fruitfulness to be fostered. Right? There's fruitfulness to be fostered. We need to nurture things in such a way that fruit could be born. Friendships, right? Relationships, marriages, our jobs, our vocations, right? As a student, as a stay-at-home mom, as a professor, as an attorney, as a truck driver, right? Whatever, as a water well driller, as a fireman, as a pastor, whatever it is your vocation is, there is work to be done. There's an environment to be fostered where fruitfulness can take place. And when a married couple can hear this calling, right? When we pick this up and hear this personal calling by a loving God who has for them a part Hear that from me today. If you are married, if if you are married or feel called to be married, right? What God has invited you into is this glorious purpose. He's saying, Josh, this is too big for you to do alone. I have 
greater purposes than for you to serve me and my kingdom alone. And so I'm going to join together. You're going to leave your father and your mother and you are going to be joined to one wife. And so now I, as your soulmate and your primate, I am your father who is in heaven. Jesus Christ is your only brother or is your older brother. And now your bride, right? Your bride is primary beyond that. Not my mom and dad, but my wife. I've leaved and cleaved. That's improper grammar, but it works, and it probably preaches better that way. I've leaved and cleaved to a woman, and so God has invited me into this glorious purpose, right? And he wants us to be faithful in this vision. So how about you? Are you content in your singleness in a way that says, Jesus Christ really is my soulmate? And I long for marriage, but I'm going to struggle rightly. And I'm going to long for a spouse that doesn't complete me, but that shares the mission and the vision that God would have for us in marriage. If you're, if you're married in this room and you're with your spouse or not with your spouse, and your spouse doesn't see or share that same mission and vision, I want to say, are you, are you taking up your cross? Are you begrudging, right? Are you condescending to your spouse and, 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 and in that way disobedient to God? Or are you saying, Lord, this is my cross to bear. And so I'm going to see your mission and vision that's beyond us. And I'm going to share the heart of that. I'm going to share that with my spouse. And I'm going to pray and I'm going to be faithful. And I'm going to honor my husband. or I'm going to honor my wife all the way through. Are you married, right, in this room? And you come faithfully here. You're here, you're here Sunday, you're here Wednesday, you're here Sunday night, and you're, you're carrying your Bible, you're reading your Bible, you're praying. Is the purpose of your marriage bigger than you? Is it beyond yourself, right? If you need help knowing what that looks like, please come to me. What I tried to build out were areas of the church. Serving God in the church is not the only way you can serve Him. But that's a real tangible way that I could give you examples. Man, we, you were served this morning by being here. You just were. We have places, and I'm not talking needs, but just go through the list of places in the local church where peop, how, how we're serving people. We have teachers, right, that prepare. We have nursery workers that are tending to your children, right? We have VBS that's coming up that is a all-hands-on-deck, church-wide thing. We have Sunday school classes that are taught. We have sermons that are prepared for. We have meals that are prepared on Wednesday night. We have meals being delivered to shut-ins, right? Those that are sick. We're visiting people in the hospital. We're going to see people in their homes. We're, the list could go on and on. We're baptizing people, right? The list could go on and on and on and on and on. I, I would dare say there's a hundred places you could serve at VBS alone, <laughs> We have kids' choir. We have Walk Through the Bible. We have GAs. We have RAs. And listen, don't buy into that garbage. Well, they don't want me. Woe is me. No, you need to look outside yourself and invite yourself in. That's called having something that's beyond yourself. Okay? You are welcomed in. And if they don't welcome you, then come see one of the elders. Art carries a big stick. No, I'm just kidding. Strike that from the record. I spend, I'm just going to speak for me. I spent a lot of hours last week having conversation with people about how they can serve the, the kingdom just here. Just here. 
I didn't, I didn't have the time nor the bandwidth to go beyond here last week. So have the conversation this week. How are you serving God and his kingdom and his purpose that's beyond your family? Or have you idolized family? And if you have where you have, I very graciously say, repent. And the pastoral promise is 1 John 1, 9. If you will confess your sin, he, God, because of his son Jesus Christ, is faithful and just and will forgive you and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. So where are you are distant from God, there is opportunity because of the blood of Christ to be near to him. So let that be your response this week. Let's pray.